First of all, it's a pleasure for me to welcome all of you on this Easter celebration, whether you're here t- checking this out in person or whether you are on our Moon campus. Welcome to our Moon campus, folks. Exciting things going on at Moon with the calling of Billy and Kat, and they'll be arriving here before too long, and we're excited about that. Welcome to our classic service. Welcome to those of you who are checking this out online as well. He's risen. He has risen indeed, and this is an opportunity that we have together to celebrate those things. So let me jump into some things that I'd like to share with you today. Obviously, we're talking a lot in these days about things happening at just the right time. Unfortunately, I think that we could probably all acknowledge that that not everything happens right on time or the way that it's supposed to. We've been seeing that around us a lot in our world, for instance, as we take a look at things like supply chain issues, right? As ships get stuck in canals and truck drivers are not in abundant supply at all, or as we have clogged ports. Look at that. I've been waiting for something to arrive in the mail for quite a while now. I'm convinced it's somewhere in there. And uh, I just have to wait it out, and I have a feeling it just may never get out of there and onto my doorstep. Not everything is happening at the right time or in the right sequence of time. And that's, that's one thing. It didn't really bother me that, all that much when I learned that there were shortages and things would be delayed things like uh, microwaves and pool liners. It's like, who cares? But uh, then I also learned that being delayed are things like Ben and Jerry's. And now it's personal. I mean, now, now it's something that I'm really uh, kind of bothered about. But, or a few weeks ago, Carolyn went to the store and she wanted to get some Easter supplies. And so she went in and she was looking around and there were no Easter supplies to be had. She went at the right time. It was a few weeks ago, but, but there was nothing there. What was there that she discovered that had arrived, had just arrived three weeks ago, were their Halloween supplies that were supposed to arrive last year. But they didn't arrive, and so now they had them out, and they had them on sale. But there weren't any Easter supplies, so yesterday we spent the day dyeing pumpkins. Yeah, yeah, we did that, and I also picked up some of those tombstones because they were cheap, and I thought I'd put them out on the lawn. And I tried that, but because it's Easter, the stone kept rolling away. And uh, so, yeah, okay, all right, yeah. And, and amen would be good on Easter, better than a boo, please, if you don't mind. All right, so some things are just not happening according to the timetable that we might expect. And, and actually, that circumstance plays itself out when we come to Easter also, or when we come to thinking about Jesus, who, of course, we think about on Easter. Because if you stop and you think about Jesus' life, it seems as though some of the timetable there was also out of whack because Jesus comes into our world and he lives a pretty quiet life for, for about 30 years growing up under the tutelage of his father and, and in a carpenter shop and about 30 years in quietness. Then, then all of a sudden it's time for him to begin his public ministry and he, and he jumps into serving the poor and the needy and, and orphans and widows and he's caring for all sorts of people. He's healing the sick. He's, he's demonstrating tremendous love as an outpouring. And if there's anybody that you would want to have continue on and to stay with you, wouldn't it be somebody who's acting and living in that sort of way? I think the answer is an obvious yes, but it was just a few years of him doing those things and demonstrating that love and as a young man of, in his early 30s, he dies. 
It seems like that's not in the right time. But there was someone who knew of Jesus very well, knew much about him, knew what his life was all about, and also he knew something about his death. And here's what that someone said. He said, at the right time, Christ died. At the right time, Christ died. In his early 30s, really, doing all of these wonderful things, really. At the right time, he says, Christ died. The one who said that was a guy by the name of Paul. Paul, a guy who wrote a letter to a group of people in the city of Rome, a group of people who were followers of Jesus, but they didn't have all of the facts straight. They they didn't know all of the things that there was to know about Jesus. They had a few things wrong. And so what Paul does is he writes to them so that he might help to clarify some of those circumstances. And here's the deal. None of us have all of the facts right about Jesus. None of us have a perfect understanding about who he is and what he came to do. And so just as Paul writes to bring some clarification for those early readers, he also writes in the same way, or what he writes to them is also instructive for us that we might understand better as well. So what I want to do is just open up and look at a few verses that Paul writes about this very thing, about what happens in the right time or maybe the wrong time. And what I'd invite you to do is just to open up your mind and your heart to what we're going to be encountering. I know that it's possible that you're here as one who's kind of skeptical, maybe as one who has some of your own doubts, and you question some of the things that are said about Jesus or said about Easter and the death and the resurrection. But what I want to invite you to do not sure why you're here, if uh, you were maybe invited uh, kind of against your will. You're not even sure why you accepted the invitation, or, or maybe you're here and you're listening in as a favor to a parent or a friend or whatever it is. I would just invite you to, to suspend, if you would, for just these minutes that we've got together, some of that doubt, some of that skepticism, and just open up your mind to what you might hear actually from God. And if at the end of the time you're like, no, I just want to pick up my skepticism and my doubt once again, then do that. But maybe just for a few minutes together, since we're here, maybe we could approach it in that manner, and I would invite you to do so. The place where Paul writes these things or where they are collected for us is in a letter. It's a, it's a book we call in the New Testament, Romans. And today we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open that or a Bible app to find it there. If you want, you can just Google this passage. Just Google Romans 5, 6 to 11, and it'll pop right up there for you on your phone or on your tablet. Or maybe you have our Romans scripture journal. You can certainly find it in there on page 24. If you didn't get one of those, maybe you're brand new and you haven't gotten one of those yet, we'd invite you to get one. They'll be at the information center. You can go get it right now if you would like, or you can get it after the service. But however you want to access this, I would encourage you to do so. We'll even put verses up on the screen for you as well as we go. Now listen to the way that Paul opens up here, talking about Jesus, including timing. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 begins, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one 
would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are a couple of foundational truths here that we see about Jesus in this passage, and, and I want to just lay those out for you as, as clearly as I can and just put them out there in plain old language so that we can get this, so that we can understand it. And if you're one who's not completely sure about Jesus or about the things, you've got your doubts, or you're just wondering more about who He is and what He came to do, then you've come on a good day because that's really what this passage is about. So the first of these foundational truths that these verses point out to us is that Jesus loved us through His death. There's an outline there in your pathway notes you can use to follow along. It's also there in the app. Jesus loved us through His death. Now, I know that for many, maybe most of us at some point, there have been things that's been difficult for us to really take and believe. Maybe it was long ago for you. Maybe it's more recent for you. Things about that people say about Jesus' death or that they say about Jesus' love. And here's the interesting thing. Paul, as we read what he has to write, actually writes in such a way, it sounds like there's some almost skepticism on his mind or there's some, some question almost on his mind as he contemplates what it is that he's writing. You can kind of read these verses sort of shaking your head as in, could this possibly even be? Let's look at it again, verse 6. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly? It's almost like it's a question. Even as he writes this statement, it's like, could this possibly be true? Because it certainly sounds pretty over the top. And the reason that this sort of demonstration of love seems so over the top is for a couple of reasons. Therefore, your outline one is because it was undeserved. It seems over the top because it's undeserved. Sometimes it's hard to believe something about God because of what it's easy to believe about ourselves, that we're not worthy of the magnitude of love that would be demonstrated if Jesus really did the things that the Scriptures say that He did. Am I really worthy of those sorts of things? Sometimes we, we have difficulty believing things about Jesus because of what that means about us. And this may be one of those circumstances. Here in this verse, he talks about the fact that these people that Jesus is dying for are people like the weak. All right? But he says at the right time that Christ died for the weak. Or as it goes on in verse 6, we've already read it, it says also he died for the ungodly. A couple of verses later, it says he died for the sinners. And then a couple of verses after that, it says he died for the enemies that we're standing against him. Now, you might listen to that and you might think, well, am I getting lumped into that because I'm not sure that I really like that? You might feel kind of offended to consider yourself lumped into this category, but my guess is that you probably don't because we all know that we have weaknesses. We all know that we have pride. We all know that we have self-serving tendencies, and so these things actually don't necessarily sound all that far away from who we really can recognize ourselves as being. And that's what makes the love from somebody else toward us so unbelievable. See, friends, could it be that we have questions about God, not because we don't believe that He could be that loving, but because we don't believe that we could be that lovable? Could it be that sometimes we reject things about God because of what that ultimately means we have to say about ourselves? I think that most certainly is a possibility. The irony about God's love, you see, is that you don't have to be lovable to receive it. You don't have to be lovable to receive it. Jesus didn't come and offer His love because you earned it. 
because you deserved it. Not at all. He offers it to us out of His grace. What is grace? Grace is the undeserved favor of God. That which you didn't earn. That which wasn't your right to take possession of. But He provided it for you. And what are we saying in this sub-point here, in this bullet? We're saying that the love of Jesus toward us was undeserved. But the good news goes on beyond that. It's not just that it's undeserved. It's also, you see, that it's unhindered. It was and is able to reach us in the midst of our greatest need. Verse 8 again. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This can be something that's really hard for us to grasp. Because we're people who respond to others or we reciprocate out of what's been given to us. And so if somebody's kind toward us, then we have an inclination to be kind back toward them. If somebody demonstrates love toward us, then in that circumstance, we'll go ahead and demonstrate some love or some warmth toward them. Think about it like this. If after the service, we were standing out in the lobby and you offered me $100, I would take that and return something to you very warmly. I might hug you or something because I would feel very positive about what you have done for me. In fact, let's try that later. And, uh, and, we, and I can prove it to you that that's how, how it'll work, all right? Because we are people who tend to reciprocate. But well, imagine if we were out there and before you pulled that $100 out of your pocket and handed it to me, that I spit in your face and I punched you in the face. Now are you going to give me that $100? No, you're not. There's not a chance in the world that you're going to give me that $100, but that's exactly the sort of love that Jesus pours out for us. Because he doesn't operate on the basis of if you do something for me, then I'll do something for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's not the way that it works with God. Not even close to that at all. See, as Jesus was headed for the cross, he was spit on. He was punched in the face. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was abused. He was scourged. He was hung on a cross. And he did it willingly for us because it wasn't a you do this, I'll do that sort of arrangement. But don't misunderstand. Jesus didn't go to the cross because his enemies won a victory over him. He went to the cross so that he could win a victory over the enemy of sin. That's why he went. Not because he felt that you had done enough so that he was obligated to do so. Jesus has never considered you to be an enemy, and he doesn't right now regardless of what's going on in your life. What sin might be there, what you've been saying, what you've been doing, where you've been going, what you've been thinking. He still loves you. He still reaches out to you and he desires you to turn back in his direction. Remember, what did we say? God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You might say, even in my sin, precisely in your sin. But here's the thing, Jesus didn't go to the cross and die for you so that you could just continue to sin, that you could continue to live that sort of life walking wayward from God, knowing that he's just going to continue to forgive. No, he went to the cross to take the slavery that you are otherwise into sin out of the way so that you could respond 
with life so that you could respond with faithfulness, so that you could respond with obedience to what God is ultimately calling you and inviting you to go and do. See, it required nothing less than the death of Jesus to provide all of that for us, but he did it, and he gives us the opportunity to receive that love and walk in newness of life. Jesus loved us through his death at just the right time and opened a door to peace with God. And in that moment, in this moment, this is just the right time to respond to that because that door is not going to stay open forever. That door is going to close, and he invites you today to walk over the threshold of that open door and put your faith and put your trust in Jesus so that that love that he has poured out through the cross might be yours. Is this your time? It's the time that Jesus has opened for all of us. First essential is that Jesus loved us through his death. The second is that Jesus saved us through his life. As clearly as I can say it, Jesus loved us through his death. He saved us through his life. Let's take a look at what he says. Paul says as he goes on, verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Paul is writing to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, and as he does, he says that believers in Jesus have been justified. We've talked about this before. Justified means to be declared righteous. Justified means that Jesus did something for us and pronounced us to be righteous. When we put our faith and our trust in him, he said, it's done. You're mine. You're right in my sight. When I look on you, what I see is the holiness of my son Jesus alive in you. That's what I see. Not your sin, not your past, not your background. But I see life, and he invites us to live in the obedience that comes as a step of gratitude on our part. See, for many of us, we grew up in an environment where it wasn't this sort of blessing that God would give to us simply because he's gracious toward us. The way that we grew up, perhaps, was with this feeling of dread hanging over us that we weren't doing enough or that we needed to do more, and it was only as we did enough or did more and did it in the right ways and did it consistently enough that God would offer his blessing in our direction. And so we were constantly walking through this fear. And maybe you're even there now where that's a sense that you have, a sense of I'm just not good enough or I just can't seem to get it done. Well, friends, you don't have to get it done out of your abilities, out of what you have earned because it comes as a gift of grace. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, it says he justifies us. He makes us right in God's sight in that moment. And he calls what results salvation here. It's salvation from what otherwise would have been our outcome, our outcome being thus separation from God. And he does a couple of important things that Paul points out here. One of them, the first bullet for you here, is that it brings rescue. Jesus saved us through his life, and it brings rescue. Paul says that through the death of Jesus, we are saved from the wrath of God. You see, when we're, we're going our own way, when we're doing our own thing, there is something that is due to us, and that's the judgment of God, because we're saying we're opposed to God. We're walking our way. We're, 
we're pushing God out of the way, out of the equation. We don't want anything to do with Him because we're doing our own thing. And what the Scriptures say is that that ultimately is going to bring us to a place where there will be judgment. And Paul refers to it as the wrath of God. There is sin in our world. There is evil in our world. And we all desire for that evil to be judged and to be done away with once and for all. And God promises that that's something that He will do. But for some of us, if we have yet to come to the place where we have experienced the justification of God, that is something that is in our future. That is something that we can anticipate in a not-so-positive thought about what is yet to come. That's what we deserve. But Paul's good news is that even as he announces its reality, he announces the solution to it. All who put their trust in Jesus are saved. They're rescued from what otherwise would be their outcome. That is good, good news that we can cling on to, that we can rest in. He goes on in verse 10, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God, or that just means brought into fellowship with God, by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved. How? By His life. Saved by His life, it says. Jesus' death was essential because on the cross, Jesus took our sin out of the way. The death that we deserved to die, it took our sin out of the way so that He could look on us as one who is righteous. But if all He did was was die on the cross, then there's no power in it that brings us any hope. If all Jesus did was die on the cross, then our hope perished in the moment when He It ended in the grave. But our hope is alive because Jesus rose from that grave in victory over death. Happy Easter, everybody. That is what it's about. It's about Jesus' victory. What Paul says here is that we are saved by Jesus' life. And putting a great exclamation point on that, Jesus himself said this. He said, because I live, you also will live. That is an absolute certainty that we can count on, that we can take to the bank. Because Jesus lives, He is offering us resurrection. He is offering us life. Because here's the thing. Take a look at this. Here's what what we can see. It says, apart from, or I would say, apart from the risen Jesus, there is no hope. But through the risen Christ, there is no doubt. That's the truth. Apart from Jesus, no hope whatsoever. You can try to do your own thing. You can try to go your own way. You can try to prove your righteousness to God, but there is no hope in that because you cannot live up to it. But through the risen Jesus and through Jesus going to the grave, there is no doubt as you put your faith and your trust in Him. That is what we can hold on to. One blessing of the fact that Jesus saved us through His life is that it brings rescue. Also, it brings rejoicing. Paul finishes up by writing in verse 11, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. He says that for everyone who has been reconciled or made right with God, they can live and do live in joy. 
That is good stuff because it is the only thing that can provide for joy. It can be the only thing that ultimately will last, that can provide that ultimate satisfaction that we need. Now, it's true that there are some other things that might be able to bring us happiness or momentary happiness because of the happenings that go on in our lives and that go on around us. And that's great, and we can lean into those happy happenings that happen, you know, some of the different stuff that just kind of comes up in the course of life. Like when you like when you dig into the Easter basket and you get the bunny that isn't hollow, right? That's a, that's a good thing. Or when you find those, those, few extra, those few extra jelly beans that are kind of stuck down there in the bottom of the Easter basket grass. You know the ones I'm talking about, right? That's a, that's a great happiness when that happens. Or more seriously, when, when there might be some promotion that comes your way at work or maybe there's something fun that happens in your family. Those are beautiful things and we love them and I'm certainly not discounting any of that, but the ultimate joy comes through Jesus because it's the only thing that can ultimately satisfy. It's the only thing that overcomes ultimately and eternally. And that's where we can find it is through Jesus and through what he has done and through his victorious resurrection over the grave. This is good news. It's good news at just the right time because we live in a world where, where peace and joy seem to be fading commodities, right? Isn't that what it seems? There's tremendous animosity that is going on between individuals and between groups all around us and we see it every day and you've probably sat back and wondered, when's it going to stop? Where's it going to end? How far down this path are we going to go? And you may have experienced some tremendous discouragement as you, have, as you have imagined those things. We need a hope, you see, that comes outside of our own ability to provide. We need a hope that comes outside of what our culture can do or what new laws that we might put on the books can accomplish for us. We need a hope that comes beyond what we can take care of on ourselves, by ourselves, and there's only one place we can get that, and that is through our eternal Savior who died for our sins and rose victoriously over that death to provide for us what we ultimately need. And he did it at the right time when we are in the most desperate circumstance so that we might have hope, so we might have life. Right at the right time, he provided for us what we could not provide for ourselves. And if you're one who has yet to put your faith and trust in the death of Jesus and his victorious power over the grave, it is available to you today. What Jesus wants to say ultimately to you today is because I live, you also will live. That's what he longs to say to you. That's what I long to have be your experience. But that only comes as we humble ourselves and bow our knees and acknowledge there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves on our own accord for our own selves that is going to earn that favor of God. It is only as we lean into what Jesus has already done on the cross and in victory over the grave that we can come to experience the only thing that provides victory over sin. You cannot earn your way out of sin. It is only what Jesus has done for you. But thankfully that is made available for you and you can lean into it, and I invite you to do so today. So the question, is this the right time for you? Jesus has done all that is necessary. We simply need to respond, and you need to do some soul-searching to ask yourself, what is it exactly that gives me my hope? that gives me the anticipation of something better yet to come. Is this the right time for you? Bow your heads with me. Jesus came 
in the fullness of time and provided for us what we could not have provided for ourselves. And friend, if you're here today and you're wondering whether you're leaning into the things you've done on your own to try to earn your way to God, some, some laws that you've tried to follow or some rules or regulations or pillars or sacraments or whatever else, anything apart from simply putting your faith and trust in Jesus, then now is the right time to settle that matter. And if you would like to do that, you can do so with God just by telling Him, God, I'm a sinner. I recognize that I confess it and I ask you for your forgiveness today. I ask that you would provide what I cannot provide for myself and I'm putting my hope and my trust in you. Thank you for being my Lord and being my Savior. Friend, if you prayed that today, there's rejoicing in heaven. We're rejoicing with you as well. And we would love to know of the decision that you've made. And I'd love to talk to you after, or if you're online, I'd love for you to reach out, and we'd love to have the opportunity to communicate with you. But if you're in person, if you would, on that Connect card, just write, I trusted Jesus today. We can know and we can celebrate that together with you. There would be nothing that would bring us any greater joy Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love is poured out through the cross. And your power is evident through Jesus rising from the grave. And on this Easter weekend, we celebrate your goodness. We celebrate your love. And we celebrate the hope that is ours. We celebrate the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. For it brings us the greatest joy. The longest lasting joy imaginable. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.